Good morning, friends. Uh, due to um, slippery roads, snow, etc., between uh, Branson and Nixa, I will not be uh, traveling today, but this is the message I would have delivered. <clears throat> My title is, What God Knows About Me. It comes from Psalm 139. But let's start out with this little quiz. Which country makes Panama hats? Well, Ecuador, of course. In which month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? Well, answer, November. The Russian calendar used to be 13 days behind ours. How long did the Hundred Years' War last? 116 years, of course. From which animal do we get cat gut? From sheep and horses. What is a camel's hairbrush made of? Squirrel fur, of all things. The Canary Islands are named after what animal? Well, the Latin name was Insularia Canaria, island of the dogs. What was King George VI's first name? It was Albert. When he came to the throne in 1936, he respected the wish of Queen Victoria that no future king should ever be called Albert. What color is a purple finch? Well, of course, it's red. And where are Chinese gooseberries from? New Zealand. One more. How long did the Thirty Years' War last? Well, 30 years, of course, from 1618 to 1648. Now, I wonder how many of you got those all right. Did anybody get more than one right? You know, our knowledge is limited, isn't it? Even when we think we know something, we often, we're often wrong. Fortunately, that's not true of God. God knows everything, and he's never wrong. So today we're going to take a close look at Psalm 139. Bible teachers will tell you that of all the 150 psalms, this is the one that best describes God's personal relationship with us, the idea that God is not far off, but is near to each of us. <clears throat> now the first thing we learn from Psalm 139 is that God sees everything about me. Verses 1 to 4, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Well, this section describes an attribute that theologians call omniscience. Omni means all. Science is the study of knowing about the universe. So omniscience simply means all-knowing. God knows everything. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare to him to whom we must give account. There's no question God cannot answer, no problem that confuses him. He's never surprised, never shocked, and he never says, Oh, really? Well, these verses list three specific areas that concern you and me. First, you know when I sit and when I rise. You discern my going out my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. In other words, God knows everything of you do. He knows when you plop into the lazy boy and when you get up to get more nachos and cheese. Now, those two opposites of sitting and rising represent all of our actions throughout the day. He knows all your habits, your good habits, and the bad ones, the weak areas, the strong ones. He sees them all, and he knows them better than you do. And second, God also knows every word I say. Verse 4 again said, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Now, he doesn't just know it after I say it. He knows it before I say it. Now, if you're anything like me, this can make you really frustrated if you think about it, because I've said a lot of things I've really regretted later. And then I think, God, you already knew I was going to say that, and you knew I was going to regret it. Couldn't you have just, like, warned me in advance so that I could keep my mouth shut? 
I mean, maybe if he just sent me an email once in a while that said, Barry, Friday at 2.38 p.m., do not say anything, keep your mouth shut, use duct tape if necessary, sign God. But to this day, I have not gotten one of those emails. Well, the third thing, verse 2 said, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You know, doctors can do some amazing things with technology today. They can take a tube and stick it down your throat and look at your insides and take pictures. That's pretty amazing. But magnify that a billion times you've got God seeing everything inside, not just my physical body, but even my thoughts. God knows everything you've ever thought about. Think about that for a moment. Guess what? God knows that you just thought about that. Verse 6, loosely translated, says, that blows me away. David said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And me too. How do you grasp a God who knows every thought that you've ever had, plus those of all the billions of other people out there? It's kind of hard to take in. Now, if God sees and knows everything I do, say, or think, then what does that mean? Well, that means he has enormous power to encourage me in what's right and also to help me in temptation. 2 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's a very encouraging verse. Because God knows in advance what you're going to face, and he promises to provide a way out. He knows exactly the struggle going on. He sees it coming before we see it coming, and he's already preparing an escape route so we can get away from the temptation. And also because God sees me when I'm being tempted, that's a motivation not to give in. I don't want to sin when he's watching me. I mean, that's human nature. If you know the cop is sitting there with his radar on you, don't speed. If you know your boss is watching, you don't play solitaire on your work computer. So when I'm tempted, God wants to help me out. So this coming week, when you face some temptation, I don't know when it'll come or what it'll be, but God does. God already knows about it. He's already prepared an escape route, a way out of the temptation. The second thing we learn is that God is continually with us. Verses 5 to 12, you can hem me in uh, behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. In this section, David starts talking about what theologians call omnipresence. Again, omni means all, so this just means present, all over the place. And God is everywhere in the universe at the same time. It's it's not like he's really stretched thin, so there's only a little bit of him here or there. No, he's fully present at every place all the time. Now consider this, the nearest star is 4.5 light years from the Earth. To reach it by jet plane would take you a mere 53 billion years. But the Hubble Space Telescope has sent back pictures of galaxies that are 2,000 times that far away. The light from those galaxies left there 7,000 years ago and is only now reaching this part of the universe. But God is fully there in that farthest, farthest galaxy, just like he's in your room today. If God went on vacation for even a minute, this universe would fall apart. Now, we don't have to worry about him going on vacation because there's nowhere he could go because, well, he's already there. 
it's kind of like me saying, I think I want to go on vacation to Branson, and then I realize, ah, hey, I already live here. Wouldn't be much of a vacation if I'm already there and always have been. But because God is the Spirit, He can be everywhere at once. Now, that does not mean that God is everything. That's an error called pantheism. They believe that all creation is a part of God, that we're all a little part of God, and if you add us all together with the plants and the rocks and the whales and the moons and the stars, we all together make up the sum total of God. However, the Bible clearly teaches that is not true. God is the creator of all that you see, but don't confuse the creator with his creation. He's not everything, but he is everywhere. Some of you may even be familiar with that old Betty Midler song called From a Distance. Now, unfortunately, its basic assumption is wrong. She sings, God is watching us from a distance. Now, it certainly is true that God is watching us, but not from a distance because he's right here. He couldn't possibly get any closer to you because he's everywhere. And yet, people throughout history have been asking the question, where is God? It's a very important question. I mean, seekers want to know because they want to find God as if he's the one who's lost. A person who's carrying a lot of guilt wants to know so they can run the other way. The hurting person wants to know because they feel abandoned by God. I mean, where is God when I need him? The lonely person wants to know, where is God and why do I feel so alone? But friends, if I know that God is always with me, then I can depend on him no matter what. No matter what trouble I'm facing, no matter how bad things look, I know he's right here with me. Psalm 34:18 says, The Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He saves those who have lost all hope. So if you're discouraged today, there's one thing I can say with complete confidence. God is with you. Is your heart breaking today? The Lord is near you. Are you lonely? You're not alone. God is with you. Do you feel like you don't know which way to go? But God is with you. In verse 10, he says, Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If you realize that God is with you, then you realize that you have nothing to worry about. He'll guide you and hold you fast. You can trust him no matter. And third, God planned out everything for me. Verses 13 to 16. For you created my own inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, in our society, we put an incredible amount of importance on how we look. There's a myth that says, if I look good, then I must be good. Wrong. It's amazing what we do to make ourselves look good. Liposuction, implants, facial scrubs, facelifts, nose jobs, tanning beds, tattoos, body piercing. We place a big emphasis on how we look, but God places no emphasis on how we look. He says it doesn't matter because you can't judge a person by his or her appearance. Now, here's the point. God created you exactly the way you are. It was part of his perfect plan for you. He wanted you to look just like you look. He wanted you to have exactly the skills and the abilities and talents you have. That's his perfect design for you. In verse 13, David says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Would you say the same thing? Did you look in the mirror this morning and, and, the, and 
take a look at the way you're made and say, wow, God, you did a fantastic job on me. I'm wonderfully made. Way to go, God. Well, not many of us are really that excited about the way God made us. Many of us are more like Job, who said in, in chapter 9, verse 20 of his book, everything I say seems to condemn me. Now, most of us are very self-critical, always putting ourselves down. And maybe you don't say it out loud, Maybe you, you, but inside you're saying, well, I'm fat, I'm dumb, I'm ugly, I'm slow, I'm a bad person, I'm a terrible Christian, I'm always late, I'm so uncoordinated, I just hope I don't spill coffee on anyone. But friends, God wants you to stop putting yourself down. <clears throat> when you put yourself down, who are you really putting down? Well, you're really pointing to the Creator who made you. Rather, we should praise God for His wonderful creation of you. You are a marvelous creation. And you are designed exactly the way he wanted you. Not only did God make you a wonderful creation, he has a plan for your life. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now catch this. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you get that? God did advance planning on your life. Indeed, God has a purpose for every person. And because God has a purpose for you, that means you're on special assignment from God. God's got some work in this world that can only be done by you. When you understand that, it makes all the difference. In the last section of Psalm 139, we see that God is continually leading me. Here's verses 17 to 24. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. But I do not hate those who hate you. O Lord, I abhor those who rise up against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What this means is this. God is thinking about you all the time. And what is he thinking? Well, one thing he's thinking is in verse 23. It says he's searching your heart, your motives, and your anxious thoughts and leading you in the right direction. He's constantly thinking about me so that he can constantly lead me so I can follow him and be blessed. You see, every time I do the right thing, God is watching. Every time, instead of sinning, I choose not to sin. Every time I Resist the temptation every time I stand up for the right thing, no matter how small or significant. God knows it and sees my faithfulness to him. In Matthew chapter 6, God, Jesus said, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You see, every encouragement you give to other people, every kind word or compliment you give to your kids, <clears throat> every time you do a thoughtful act for, for a friend, every time you encourage someone at a small group, every time you had the opportunity to gossip and you didn't, every time you had the opportunity to be critical and you weren't, God sees it all. Imagine yourself on a giant stage and you're the only person on that stage. You're acting out your life. In the audience, there's only one person, and it's God. He's out there clapping and saying, I saw the good thing you just did. I mean, keep it up. I mean, nobody else saw it, but I did. I know that thought you just had, and I know it was a positive good thought. I saw it. Now, I have a, a 3 by 5 note card on my desk that says, live your life for an audience of one. You see, it ultimately doesn't matter how I appear to you or what 
anyone thinks about me. What matters is what God thinks. He knows what I'm really like and think and what my motives really are. Some people say that integrity is doing the right thing when no one is looking. But you know, there is someone looking. It's God. He's saying, I saw that, that kind thought, that patience you had. Good job. I'm watching. That's a tremendous motivator for me to live a godly life. Nothing in my life is secret. God sees it all. You may fool some people some of the time or all the people all of the time, but there's one person you're not fooling, and that's God. So, friends, what should be our response? If God sees all the good and he's out there cheering us on and we're going to get credit, then our response should be, don't be discouraged. Now, some of you might be saying, I'm trying to do the right thing in my marriage. I just don't see any results. Or I've been trying to be the right kind of person and respond correctly to my kids or my parents or to my friends or whatever. Or I've been trying to be a good Christian at work. I've been trying to have a good testimony at school. But I don't know if it's paying off. I don't see it making any impact in anybody's life. But friends, God says, I see it. And it doesn't matter who else does. No good thing ever goes unrewarded. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, We should not grow weary in doing good, because we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are always with us and that you know us better than we know ourselves. Thank you that you are constantly thinking about each of us and looking for ways to help and guide us. Thank you for the confidence and the comfort that comes from your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. And until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.